the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for the Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're talking about season one, episode nine, the Garveys at their best. Was this the Garveys at their best? I think it might have been. Like Setting the you, bar pretty fucking low, but yeah, it does feel like... But if like... you take where they are now mm-hmm. and look at where they are in this flashback, I think this might be the Garveys at their best. Well, 50, they're, they're, they have 50% less of their members in cults <laughs> at this point, so that's always a good point. Still the same amount smoking, though. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. That is true. Uh, before we get into like actually talking about this episode, why don't we do a little uh, announcement type stuff up front? Uh, sure. Uh, we actually are incredibly excited that uh, HBO social media management type folks have uh, um, asked us to participate on the official Watching the Leftovers site. Yeah, that is super cool. They want us to do a preview podcast, kind of talking about the you know some some spoil not spoilers but some speculation and theory about what's going to happen in the finale episode because they're mm-hmm. taking HBO as it's wont to do. They're going to celebrate Memorial Day weekend like the rest of us and not have a new episode of The Leftovers. Sure. So for something a little special, they've reached out to us and asked us to record a short, like, 20-minute podcast for them, and we're super excited to do that. And if you want to help us out with some of your speculation and spoilers, it's going to be a tight, like, a, a again, 20-minute episode. Yeah. Feel free to send it in to leftovers at baldmove.com or... Uh, another great place uh, for a quick hit like that would be to put it in the facebook.com slash bald move thread for this episode, uh, this podcast. Uh, they 140 characters would be great say, for yeah. a short take at bald move <laughs> on Twitter. But thanks again uh, to Tanner over at HBO for uh, inviting us and putting it all together. It's still kind of, I don't have an official date and all that stuff. We're sure. kind of negotiating as we go, but I feel like it's a pretty done deal that we'll be. We'll be doing it for them. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited about that. Me too, man. What else Me do we too. have? Yeah, I got some background information for the episode. This was directed by Daniel Sackheim, who has worked on tons of stuff, including The X-Files, Law & Order, House MD, NYPD Blue. He's a currently working director on The Walking Dead and The Americans, and now The Leftovers, and is written by Kath Lingle, Lingenfelter, who... Mm-hmm. We earlier got to know in the Two Boats and a Helicopter episode. She was also the co-writer with Damon Lindelof with that. And like we said last time, she's been active in um, House MD, Caprica, worked on Sleeper Cell, Boston Public, Pushing Daisies, um, lots, lots of stuff. And also, this is the first episode that went over, it got 1.85 million people watching it, which is like a tenth of a million higher than the premiere episode. So it looks like people are starting to catch up and get on the leftovers bandwagon, the train, mm-hmm. full steam ahead. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see what the kind of numbers they pull for the finale episode. I'm kind of excited to hear more train analogies, honestly. <laughs> you don't hear like... that a lot at that time, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder, do you think that finale... Because let's talk about what we thought about this episode... And to set up the context of, I feel like the finale is going to be something that kind of makes or breaks the series. Uh, it's already okay. it's already been announced that it's been renewed, so we're going to get a season two. Sure. But I feel, I, for my money, I feel like they've answered enough questions that I am going to be content uh, and a lot more relaxed about going into season two. That you know, this isn't going to be something that kind of jerks us around. 
Sure. Yeah, I, I don't want to do the the wrap up cast here. No, I know, <laughs> but know I just wonder. I mean? Do you feel? Do you feel that? And 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 I'm speaking for other people, not myself, because again, I'm kind of invested. But do you feel from a majority of the fan base and people watching the show on HBO that they're kind of sitting around to see if the finale is good, if it delivers, if it gives us some solid answers, or does it even does it ask more questions before people fully invest? Because I feel like there's a lot of yeah, yeah. people like the Andrew Greenwalds and the Bill Simmons of the world, you know, kind of tastemakers, critics um, that are still holding out thinking that, you know, there's just no there there, which I already think is a ridiculous proposition. What do you think? Yeah, the there that needs to be there is the emotional impact for these characters. And I think that's been shown to us in spades. Now there is kind of this metaphysical twist. There's a potentially metaphysical twist um, there are a lot of questions that we don't have answers to, but I feel like this episode took a lot of the stuff that we had all kind of been speculating and figured out on our own and just really said, okay, those are the answers. Yeah. Uh, a lot of answers in this episode in particular. And I feel like if they do the same thing as far as maybe like what happened right after the disappearance, if they just kind of continue it from where they left off here, mm. uh, in the next episode, they'll they'll be right on track. I I don't, from, from the brief previews I saw on the, uh, immediately after the episode aired on HBO, I don't get that we're going to resume. I, I feel like we're going to flash back to the quote-unquote present day okay. in the Leftovers universe. That would be an interesting idea to explore early on in season two. Sure. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, so, well, are we ready to start talking about the episode? Yeah, I think we should, instead of talking about the exact same things we're going to talk about <laughs> next week here. <laughs> uh, so, I guess we'll start from the beginning scene. That seems like a good place to start, where Kevin is going for a run. It's how we started the whole season yeah. in episode one. We're kind of going back to that. Everyone's smiling and waving. A lot of contrasts. Um, that there's a couple of listeners that send us back, send, send us messages, sent us an email on um, that we'll be talking about in the feedback section. But he's running armed. He sneaks a cigarette at the mailbox. Uh, he sees Harry Potter's Patronus with a big flaming sun between his uh, horns. Okay. Um, I gotta say for the ladies that he's totally John hamming it up here. He's got his uh, uh, he's got Kevin Junior Junior. Uh, flopping around on his left and right thigh. What? <laughs> you didn't. What? That's what? hilarious because you asked most guys this episode, "Did you see Kevin Garney Jr.'s massive schlong flopping around in sweatpants?" <laughs> and I guarantee, probably nine nine out of ten was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, but you asked me that during the episode. I was like, "No, when was that?" No, like my girlfriend was like, "Oh my god, Garvey Dick!" And like all the women in the thread were commenting about the appearance. So of... What happens when you wear boxers and sweatpants? It's just not containing. Or I don't even. I question whether he was wearing boxers at all. It was, oh, maybe yeah. It was uh, flopping around wild and free there. Um, this is how we're going to start the show. Okay, this is exactly like how it. we're going to start the show. Yeah. Can, uh, so I want to th- I want to throw a couple things out on the table. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Before we get too into three this things in particular, it's a left, right, and center. Um, okay. Yep. I it, him sneaking cigarettes at the mailbox. Yeah. In his dream sequences, we've seen a vicious beast caged into mailboxes. 
We have. What does his smoking have to do with that? Or is there a connection Hmm. between him retrieving this package to his son leaving a package for Wayne? Does that somehow connect their characters? Or is this smoking as Kevin's dark side? Are we going to find out that he, like, chain smokes like he's on fire? Like he needs a chimney when he's in his dark side mode? That's a good question. Because didn't he have a cigarette when he killed Patty? I, I, that's... Or when Patty killed herself, I guess. Yeah. Uh, possibly. Wasn't he out... Didn't he smoke in the woods? I think he smoked in the woods. He also bummed a cigarette off the woman that he was screwing when the whole departure thing happened. Which could be an arguable, um, you know, presage into a quote-unquote dark side of him coming out. Sure. He's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. Yeah, and it could be... Um, I, there are a lot of cracks showing in Kevin's life here. Well, and I feel like the smoking is tangled up in that. C- certainly, and that's... It's, it's the veneer of his perfect life. Uh, the the literal cracks we see throughout this episode, um, and then the discussion he has with his father. I feel like smoking is an extension of that as well. Like he's hiding that from his family. Is there any connection too to Lori picking up smoking and him giving it up? Mm. But then, so kind of like, is that her tapping into some kind of dark nihilistic thing? Is like, is da- is Damon, uh, uh, is Damon, is to Damon Lindelof, is cigarette shorthand for evil? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, he lives in California, right? They might be. Yeah. It's true. Uh, I, I don't know. I hadn't even considered that question. Uh, certainly, I think Lori just takes up smoking because, you know, that's what the GR do. Um, but Kevin also rejected it. But symbolically. And she, while yeah. she was not smoking this episode, she seemed to be thinking, and there's a little, uh, she seemed to be in denial about her being unsatisfied. Like she did, flat out denied it when Patty tried to, uh, yeah. you know, make common cause with her. It's like, no, that's just something that you've got going on where Kevin seems like he's a lot more conscious of the mini cracks. We see literal yeah. cracks in his house we see his coffee mug that is emblazoned with the fact that he's somebody's hero <laughs> cracked leaking coffee yeah something to that mm-hmm. um did you do any research into saint hubertus or Huber- uh, hubertus i i read the most brief synopsis possible of of his story this is the this the deer symbolism with the flaming thing between its antlers is a very clear nod. In fact, if you look at the religious iconogra- iconogra- iconography, iconography, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's eerie how much that scene is staged to look just like one of these, uh, you know, wood carvings or or stained glass windows. And the the legend goes, this man lost, I believe, his wife and daughter, or maybe wife and son. And he decides to just take up hunting, and he becomes this great hunter, you know, kills as many animals as he can. He takes aim at one particular deer, and he sees this blazing cross, like flaming Jesus heart cross, like you see in a lot of Catholicism. And the deer speaks to him and tells him to go see this other guy who to get religious instruction, tells him, uh, you know, hands down this thing for humane hunting, including, like, you know, you shouldn't go after, you should you know, go after the old stags and the sick, and you shouldn't shoot at female deer with babies and something that's still like kind of modern is weirdly based. A lot of our modern hunting practices are still based on these teachings mm-hmm. uh, because they're common sense stuff that what does that mean? So obviously Kevin's got the heart on for saving the deer and he wants to be humane. And in fact, that extends to the other animals and 
you know, there's a lot of theories here that these animals, the crazy animals are also representative of the GR who Kevin, when he's in his conscious state, Mm -hmm. seems hell bent to try to save and rehabilitate too. Yeah. What is this just Damon being clever and, and mining this stuff just to mine it for people that are uh, aware of it? Because I don't feel like that tells us anything new about Kevin's character we didn't know already. Yeah. Um, well, it's also tied up in the stuff that his dad says about the deer when they're discussing it at the police station. You know, if it's unstable, we need to kill it versus Kevin wanting to tranquilize it and release it into the woods. Uh, and this deer has kind of been hounding him after the fact. Sure. Right? After the departure. Um, it it might be as simple to say, like, this is a, a sign that there are a lot of signs in this episode, potentially, that something is coming. It might be as simple to just say, this is a sign that Kevin is seeing that he's not acknowledging at the time, but... Now with potential voices and him going, quote-unquote, crazy, uh, maybe he's starting to realize what that sign meant um, or that he was given a sign at all. Or, I I don't know, the, the theory that he just wants to rehabilitate these people versus, you know, like Dog Shooter who's mm. out there for blood. Just wants to put him down. Uh, wants to kill Patty. Wants that, to kill Which, by the way, Dean's dogs. worldview is Kevin Sr.'s worldview as well. It is. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, and, and I'm not sure post-apocalypse, post him losing his mind, but the way Dean talks about putting down the dogs is exactly the way Kevin Sr. talks about putting down this deer. Yeah, and there's a resistance from Kevin for both of those things, right? Sure. He doesn't want to kill the dogs. He doesn't want to kill the deer. Um and in last episode in Cairo, it seemed to be linked to these voices and someone telling him, like, Patty was telling him, look, you you just don't understand yet. Like, now you understand. Now we've had this discussion. Yeah. And that's kind of where they left it with Kevin. Right. Um. So I'm not totally sure what the deer mean, but I feel like it's Kevin trying to resist these darker tendencies or maybe a particular idea about what happened. With the departure. Let's follow this through. So we find out later when he tracks down the deer and the deer rampages through a school uh, that connects this deer with Nora because that's where Nora's children go. Yeah. And we see, uh, in fact, uh, her husband's preschool teaching mistress is is the one that kind of asked uh, late, uh, you know, Kevin's like, is it okay? Um, that connect connects them. It rampages through the family, the elderly couple that has the middle-aged, uh, uh, son with down syndrome. Uh-huh. It, and we later see it get ran over by Kevin's fling, his hookup, his slam piece. Uh, and it's got a mylar balloon that says it's a girl stuck in its horns. Yeah. Which obviously, obviously was reflecting the sun, which made it appear. Yeah. Which is very cool. Cause I remember when I saw that on a preview, uh-huh. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? Is that it's a girl in reference to the fetus that Lori is carrying about that Kevin has no knowledge of? And in fact, it's pretty clear in the present day he doesn't know about that deep, dark secret either. Sure. Or is that something that is pre-saging Holy Wayne's child through Christine? Christine. Uh, So I don't want to get... 
spoilery, and obviously I can't. I haven't seen the next episode. I was going to say, um, what the fuck? But I have seen the uh, – I have not seen the preview, but I've seen uh, kind of the name, The Prodigal Son Returns. Uh-huh. Uh, that might be considered spoilery by, spoilery by some people. Uh, but we got to talk about it okay. because that has the potential to see Tom come back. Well, that was something people Mableton. speculated last week that, you know, where now that Tom has cut off Wayne, he can't yeah. contact him. Wayne's got no way to contact Where's him. Where's he going to go? It seems, especially seeing that their relationship is pretty close. Yeah. That he's going to, and he tried, you know, out of desperation, he was this close to calling his dad before. In fact, he did call mm-hmm. his dad. Then Holy Wayne showed up and gave him the phone and that threw him the lifeline. I feel like it's not a spoiler to say that he's probably going to come back. Okay. So So if that's the case, potentially Kevin could remember this incident. I mean, it is kind of a weird incident, right? A deer is rampaging through your town. You saw it with this crazy light on its head, and it turns out to be a balloon. That's something you might remember. Well, not only that, but it's arguable that when the deer came back into Kevin's life, obviously not the same deer Mm -hmm. because he executed it uh, Pulp Fiction style. Sure. Which apparently is a big panty dropper with the ladies yeah, yeah no you fucking shoot a deer in between the put out of his mercy and you're getting in wait wait was he in his sweatpants at that point because <laughs> no. that might have been what did it no he was all right. not all right i don't know maybe he had a fly unzipped <laughs> um but what was that shit what was i going to this oh so the deer returns the timing's about right for when wayne conceived the child with christine and it's still the evidence of it fucking up his his kitchen is still there Mm-hmm. I wonder if that would further jog his memory, and I wonder if we're supposed to believe that some of – and again, this ep, this show continues to do an amazing job of straddling the line between metaphysical and physical, right? Sure. Uh, yeah. Like you said, that was a big blazing holy cross in the deer's head until we found it was a Mylar bag. Yeah. But you've got to – the other thing we have to realize is we're dealing with crazy – or on the brink of being crazy people that sure. interpret signs <laughs> and symbolisms. Patty, clearly crazy at this point. And I'm – Kevin – potentially crazy in the future his dad going to be crazy in the future and 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 i can't even i can't even find fault because again one of the things that i've approached the show is when something insane happens i don't know and i know something that you and i disagree on i don't know that you can classify things as sane and insane reactions okay i mean you know i I might be with you there yeah right so everybody's gonna react differently all i can do is portray it from my perspective right perhaps the deer will make another return when tommy comes back and this is setting up that tom that uh, tom and kevin senior and junior and dean are maybe going to be the protectors of christine it could be does it tie in with joe releasing that dog at all last episode well and is it because you got to think if 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 tommy comes back Mm mm-hmm uh, Nora has experience with Holy Wayne. He's joined Holy Wayne's cult. Does his dad know that? Will that come out? Will Nora throw her support behind? You know, like how deep is this interconnected rabbit hole going to go? I mean, you could see this becoming, uh, and it could be. That's the brilliant thing is this this series could could develop into this Don Quixote type thing where you've got a whole bunch of crazy people doing a bunch of crazy <laughs> things that have no relation to reality. Sure. Yet. Something supernatural did kick all this stuff off. So you can't also write off the supernatural elements. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, the question early on of whether the dog shooter's real and are the bagels real and that kind of stuff really struck a chord with people. 
Sure, sure. Because the event itself, the whole genesis of this series, is based on something that appears very supernatural. Right. And by the way, I've got a lot of links in the show notes for this article. I'm going to link the wiki article for Hubertus. Uh, I've got an interesting article that uh, Cynthia B. sent in uh, about Michelle McLaren's take on some stuff uh, from last episode that I was really surprised by. But uh, okay. I just want you to know that if you're looking to get some more information about this stuff, you can you can uh, look it up. Um, I'm trying to think what else. We... So is, is this whole episode how Kevin got dubbed the dog catcher? Because they kind of make a joke about that, right? Like him being a dog catcher. He's he's running after this deer with a tranquilizer gun, chasing sure. all over town. Sure, sure. The other the other officers are going to make fun of him for that. Uh, yeah, he's he's turned into uh, Colin Hanks from Fargo, all of a sudden. And sure. also, you can you can uh, this kind of general lack of respect that the people had towards Kevin Junior. You can see even this three and a half years ago because this chief, his dad, seems like this towering figure in the community, and he's like you know. Uh, connected with the religious elements, and like the whole town comes out for his birthday, and everybody loves him, respect him. He's in the mayor's the the uh, mayoral candidate, who's now the mayor's pants. Um, also, that relationship makes a lot more sense because you see Ke- Kevin Senior in the uniform. He's looking trim. He's got the cool mustache. He's got a nice haircut, and he's very confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see why. Far cry from streaking through a backyard. I can see why they they would build a relationship working with each other on the council and through the campaign and sparks fly. And yeah, it makes sense. Totally. Kevin senior seems like the type of guy that could pull down the mayor. So I'm saying, sure. Um, so that's kind of Kevin's arc. Uh, do we want to talk any about how, how he pretends to be happy and how, I mean, we talked slightly about it. Sure. But... Let's talk about how what we've talked about how the guilty remnant, the deer, and the dogs all have stuff in common. What about the stag being a stand-in for Kevin? Because you know, it's it's not speculation. Several characters say, including Kevin himself, he feels trapped in his life. There yeah. should be something more out there. This deer does not belong where he's at. He finds himself continually constrained and being injured. By being, uh, you know, trapped and putting constraints, Kevin feels an empathy yeah. for for him. Uh, I, so it makes me wonder if that is not a commentary that the show is trying to make on the event itself, saying, um, like with Kevin Senior telling him, "Look, this is it. This is fucking it. Uh, you're looking for something else. Everyone has that desire to find meaning where there may not necessarily be meaning. In this case, there isn't." Right. This is it. The event just happened. Sure. The departure happened. There is no meaning to it. And I and this is reflected on the subreddit as well. I see so many theories. Oh my god. Going around saying what happened? What does this tell us about the departure itself? I don't think this tells us anything about the departure itself. Nothing because the the book as far as I know does not say why or what happened exactly. Right. Uh Damon Lindelof has said you will never know the answer to the question why this happened yes, or, or what caused it or how it happened. Uh, we need to stop thinking about that. Is, is this episode also trying to tell us to stop thinking about that? Well, like, don't expect the finale to give you those answers because it won't. No. I, the, this is fucking I feel it. confident saying you're not going to get answers of why the, you know, was it aliens? Was it God? Why were these people taken? Why are these other people not taken? It does 
the more we know about it, the more uh, kind of interesting slash disturbing slash controversial yeah. things it brings up, which we'll talk Definitely. about a little bit later in the episode, I imagine. But I think what it can tell us is why people are reacting the way they are now. Sure. Like, and that's the most inter- That's the only interesting part. And it seems <laughs> like it is all about the guilt. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the guilt you feel towards wanting something to be different or wanting some people to go away, even if it's just a momentary flash of annoyance. You know, like Nora, I don't think I have much to say about her other than, you know, her her quest in this in this episode was to be more than a mom. Yeah. To to that she needs something for herself. She's tired of being the juice box hero. She, and she might even be slightly annoyed with her kids. And that's fine. She's, she's, I, people get annoyed with their kids, and that's a natural reaction. And you see the first day where she's the hero, and they're in this big, adorable puppy pile in the bed, and the, yeah. you know, the dog's there, and everything. But that is seemed great. like the best day. And then, for the, them. and then the next, it wasn't quite the beach, you know, level of she yeah. said. And and the next okay. day wasn't quite everybody in the flu and being sick. But you know that happens in families, and you can scream, "God damn it! Why didn't you use two hands at your child?" But if yeah. your whole family disappeared <laughs> the moment after you the moment them, you're yeah. screaming and wishing they'd just go away so you get this goddamn job interview and get a little bit of your life back. Yeah. I don't know how you deal with that. Absolutely. And you meant you, And if you're and if you're Kevin and you've just decided I'm gonna cheat on my wife with this woman and you had seen the deer earlier, which could be interpreted as a sign, and now poof, this woman's gone <laughs> right before your eyes. Well, so that that that, uh, that also has that's to, a key. You have right? to start wondering: Am I being told something? Should I should I feel extra guilty about this because of those events? Well, one of the things the Wonder Twins talked about when they're out with Amy and Jill was that one of the speculation of the pack of dogs, the feral dogs, and animals are they are the ones that saw people disappear. Yeah, Kevin's going crazy. He saw someone disappear. Um, uh. If if indeed. Uh, Lori saw her child disappear in the monitor. That would show her cracking. Maybe she was completely genuine about. You she know, thinking didn't that the... see it happen though, because like her head's turned to the other side, and then true, she turns over and she notices. Oh, it's well, gone. they were they were staring at the screen when the woman screamed. Unless that scream was a distraction from the real event, though. Yeah, then... yeah, yeah. And maybe that's why she's only she's not really crazy. She's just or there's guilty. A delay on the screen because there's a lot of people that are know. guilty, and then there's a lot of people that are crazy. And I wonder if the difference yeah, yeah. between the one or the other is actually witnessing it. Because we were just talking about speaking of hard to get over, you're about to or in the middle of fucking someone, and they just disappear underneath you. Yeah, and you know this act is wrong already. And and again, <laughs> put you in a world that you, it's just like you and I. Like you don't this. It has this is not something that can happen, sure. but it how has in, happened. How do you interpret that event? Like we were kind of laughing at Kevin going through the sheets, but what again? What is a sane reaction to the woman you're yes. having sex with disappearing into thin air, or a I, pop, or whatever? I I don't know. I re- there is no sane reaction because we know it's we don't think it's ever happened. First, you got to finish yourself off before <laughs> the, the goal one. <laughs> I mean, what what? No, you're right. You're I mean, right. That, that's that's. But but after yeah, that, yeah. all bets are off. All bets are off. <laughs> then you check the sheets. <laughs> Get a black light out. No, I, um, I, I just man, I I don't know how even a Holy Wayne hug helps with that. And that really, 
to me, explains what Nora's pathos was throughout these episodes because that just would be very yes, hard. That, that would be very difficult. Alan Sepinwall drew a parallel with the monkey's paw where this mm-hmm. is like perverse wish fulfillment. Uh, Kevin doesn't want to be trapped, so... And he doesn't even understand why his family's disintegrating, but it, it does. You know, his son sure. saw people commit suicide as a probably reaction to the rapture or the departure. Jill had someone's hand she was holding just disappear. I don't think she was actually physically holding the hand. Oh, she wasn't? No. Somebody was holding that hand. Right, and that person's probably... But Jill was there. Jill was she there. She saw it. She saw the light go out. Yeah, and Lori, I mean... It, so so Kevin wanted to not be trapped, and now he's kind of not trapped. It also explains how, you know, we were like, how is the Guilty Remnant getting their money? You okay. know, and we speculate there's no way they could afford to actually order that many. But Lori looked like she's fucking loaded. Well, we know they didn't order that many, right? They gave an envelope full of, like, 20 grand to No, that could have been a bribe and... to deliver it, because I don't... The, the, so the question sure, but is... but it's like a down payment on those things. They could definitely afford that. Probably given Lori's salary alone. I think they could just outright buy them, and that, that was a bribe to deliver it to them instead of the people's houses. Because I don't okay, think... like sure. Like, say that you are the Loved Ones doll company, uh-huh. and the Guilty Remnant orders... 37 dolls of a bunch of different people's likenesses in the town they want to deliver to their cult headquarters. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That, that would set off a lot of PR bells and legal bells and all kinds of stuff. But if you don't, but you, you contact someone in shipping and bribe them 20 grand to get a U-Haul out there and deliver them to you, that I can, that, that, that seems to start, everything starts coming together sure and your point is that lori probably had and why they have a hundred yeah it's like plenty it's, of money it's not just all of the people going there and surrendering their assets it's that all those people plus a couple rich eccentric people doing it and you're suddenly loaded so take take the section of um the episode where patty is talking with lori and she's talking to her about you know leaving her husband's house and that it's his house he paid for it yeah what kind of what do you think happened with Lori and Kevin right after the departure? When when Lori decides I'm going to the GR, obviously, and my possessions are things that I'm giving to the GR. She obviously ordered him out of the house. Yeah, because he is not living in the same conditions. No, he's he was living in his flashback. He, he's living in his dad's old place. Yeah, so so she gave the house, gave all of her money. Yeah. Everything to, to the, the guilty remnant. Yep, he's got to be bitter about that, right? There's multiple layers. I mean, that's layers. what they're setting us up for, right there. Lori herself is saying it's it's both your houses, but then later on, she's going to have a change of heart when she goes to join the GR. Well, and I'm sure Patty aided and abetted to that as well. Do you I'm think sure. so? One of the questions I have. So let's let's stay with the uh, the Lori. I, I feel like we've we really handled Kevin's plot here. You know, yeah, no, let's go to the other side of... Let's go to Lori and Patty. Yeah, let's go to the other side of the departure where you don't have the people who feel guilty about it. You pe- have the people who feel validated by it in Patty. So are we seeing how this these cults uh, can proliferate, that we've got people that have crazy views? Yeah. And this is a, this is a cognitive bias. Like I was talking to... Um, um, somebody in email might have been Michael P. Might have been somebody else, but we we're going back and forth about um, 
you know, experiences that you get and it's kind of like the deja vu or you're listening to a radio station or you're thinking about a song, you flip on the radio and that song's playing. Yeah. That's like a bias that the dozens of times you've been thinking about a song and flipping on a radio or turning on a TV and you don't hear anything, you You don't remember. You remember the one time where circumstances align that uh, coincidence happened and you're like, ooh, that's spooky. Yeah. So Patty has been talking for months, apparently, about mm-hmm. the end of the world coming. And she's saying the same thing every single time. Two, for 2% of the world, the world did end on this date. That's going to stick out in Lori and her and everyone else's mind as being significant. Again, sure. I think that's fascinating how this supernatural event sets off other, apparently, supernatural events. So then yeah. you got the guilty remnant. You got, you know, maybe Wayne was kind of off kilter and crazy. And then this happened and apparently he lost his son. At least that's what we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's got this, this complex. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's super interesting. The idea that, you know, you can have the Harold camping S prediction of the end of the world. Uh, that actually comes true one of the, the one of the many times they predict it. That's like I said in I think the pilot episode. Like, if you had like who did you say his name was? Harold Camping. He's, he's the, the guy that did the one in 2012, right? Yes. Yeah. So you you, you get like them in the Mayan calendar and the camp Campmans Campmans <laughs> of the world and something sure. crazy like a meteor does strike the Earth. Mm-hmm. I've always said that that would be the end of rational thought for hundreds of years because people would like anyone that said that that wasn't God would be rounded up and put against the walls and shot because don't want to piss God off anymore. That's my personal belief. Okay. Reasonably, you can disagree, but I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing here. A less extreme version of that really resonates with a lot of people though and makes them yeah. have radical departures in the way they live. Yeah, yeah, and it happens with Patty here, and I think this points to the idea that maybe she gets into Lori's head uh, and starts to become a prophet to Lori. Sure, somehow. I, mean, I don't, I don't know how else. Uh, it's hard to say because maybe she does find out about Kevin's infidelity, and that drives her away and naturally to the GR. I don't think so. I don't um, think she. I mean, there's no indication really that she knows. Except in, in for Patty said time. something about his dirty dick, but that could just be a lucky guess. Yeah, and there's... The reason she really went away, we now know, is because she lost a baby during the, the apparent departure. We think so. Think so. We, we think that's why she went to the GR. So she starts to believe what Patty says because of those predictions that she had been making. That's... I feel like a psychologist would be almost immune to that sort of rationalization all right well let me ask a couple other things just throw out there she looks at this one day calendar that's got like you know your positive thought or your outside the box thought or your touchy-feely thought of the day yeah and it's the foot feels the foot when it feels the ground sure also interestingly enough the she's got a little thing rigged up in her office that when someone comes into her vestibule or waiting area it shines a red light Red lights are very significant in this episode. They're mm. or not episode this series. series. They seem to be pointing towards some sort of divine. Yeah, yeah. Or they could just be a, a faulty stoplight. We could, talked about could that be a red too. Airing, but yeah. you know, it it signaled Matt to uh, do the gambling thing. It also um, uh, f- fired off when Matt was in the car with Kevin, and they almost got in a wreck. Is yep. 
is that just a, a wink and a nod, or is are we supposed to get that this this Patty character has got some sort of divine connection? Yeah, yeah, I think especially with the stuff we saw in Cairo from her, she f- certainly feels like she has a higher purpose. And the the trouble is they're walking such a fine line here, right? Between yeah, right. Patty actually being fucking crazy and Patty being a prophet of some kind and, and in in touch with some other layer of reality. And I think that's kind of where that foot foot feeling the foot feel the ground thing comes in. Like, and you can even apply that to, to Kevin's life here. Like there is another, there's more than what's just going on on the surface that sure. you can see. Yeah. Um, there, there's like a disconnection between senses and reality. And even if you take a look at the animals reactions to events here, um, if you want to go with the idea that the deer is not just reacting to this balloon, the deer is prophetic in some kind of way, or has a deeper understanding as like when when animals are sensing a hurricane coming because like barometric pressure drops yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. They have different kinds of connections with the, the planet world. because they have different senses that we sure. don't we don't have. Sure. Uh that sort of thing can come into it too, where maybe Patty has some connection beyond the senses that we as humans experience. Sure. So it, I feel like the whole episode is riding that line right down the middle. No, and I, and I, the whole series is really riding that line, like we've talked about. And again, I would be, ju- I would be, this would be interesting if this car- turns out to be some final prophecy type deal where it's really good and evil. It's the stand. You got Randall Flag versus <laughs> the White Mother or whatever the hell her name was versus Rob uh, Stark, Lowe. Rob Lowe. <laughs> Yes, Rob Lowe. Um, Or I I think it would be super interesting if it's a Don Quixote tilting at imaginary windmills that you think are – no, the real windmills that you think are giants. Uh I think either one would be super entertaining. Um, I don't think we'll ever get an answer. And that's fine too as long as it continues to be interesting. Uh, I don't – man, I don't know. Uh, So let me ask – we meet Gladys. Mm -hmm. She's a dog breeder of – adorable puppies yeah nothing like that dog in the backyard last episode and as Lori's holding one of them she's like oh my god won't won't you know they miss their mother something and gladys says it's completely natural they don't need her anymore that this is the third litter Lori would have three children uh is is (laughs) is is, is this i i just wonder if Lori, gladys and patty got together and these various bits of their former life formed into a stew that became Hmm. is patty the one that started the guilty remnant is it possible that this started here and then spread uh hmm what did she say last episode about that uh, didn't she mention she something refused about the, men- the other chapters? She of- refused to mention like their organization structure or how they communicate or anything like that. Okay. Kevin tried to press, y- and she's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. "Yo, fuck you. We're not going to talk about that." Huh. So I, again, is that I, the, what the head of this thing would say? Might say, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's good. I don't think it matters one way or another. It's just something interesting to think about. I mean, with her predicting the end of the world, I could definitely see her. feeling completely validated by this Mm -hmm. and say, I am not crazy. Everyone who doesn't believe me is crazy. And I'm going to get these people to understand that. Mm. 
I'm just imagining those By like smoking and wearing white. those fluffy puppies turning feral and you know trying to <laughs> yeah. maul her and that just put her off a living. You know, <laughs> poor Gladys. Sure. No, uh, we wh- we also find some other stuff about Patty with the bag of shit. In yes. The old store. We find out that Lori basically told her to do that. Yes, and this is a callback, which you think. That's an interesting thing for a cult leader to do with your cult acolyte to call back that. And, you know, you're you're supposed to like you're remember not when to, I was crazy. You're not supposed to wait. Well, she's she puts this stuff out that seems like it's bullshit. Like, um, you know, we become a blank slate where all we do is think about the departure unless we're also thinking about Neil and shitting in a bag and. Yeah. yeah. Eating waffles like I, I still where I go back before there is significance to that whole episode that it would be interesting after the uh we get done watching this a rewatch i feel like would be super rewarding because some of the stuff is yeah makes sense or maybe in hindsight it's like what the fuck but no i think i think they've brought a lot more clarity to the situations of all these people in this episode Mm -hmm. we had speculated so much uh about these characters and i think most of it ended up being exactly what we thought yeah um but to actually see it play out, I think, is valuable. Well, because also it helps us pare down. Because a lot of people had theories about I know that the Lori Fetus theory was discussed. It I absolutely was, know, yeah. and I can't remember which listener sent it in. But stuff like Nora. We were basically told everything that happened to Nora. Right. In but, other episodes. But we didn't know but the circumstances of her disappearing and why. And and so, so I got... Uh, anyway... Uh, let, let me <laughs> okay. let me continue. Um, what do you make of Kevin and Tommy's discussion in the car after Tommy tries to violently meet his biological father for the third time, and uh, Kevin kicks kicks the guy's ass? Um, but he says, "You know what he did to your mother and you was terrible, and he yeah. shouldn't get to pretend like it didn't happen. But sometimes to deal with that, you have to pretend." That feels like another significant statement that I'm not sure exactly how it's going to tie into everything. Yeah. So it depends on what he did. Is that, that so is horrible. that why Kevin feels so trapped because he wants out, but he can't yeah. bring himself to do that to this family and to his, his, his again, daughter. Yeah. To have, to have those people go through this again would be rough. Uh, th- that might very well be the case. Yeah. Did you think it was interesting that Jill was by far the most happy-go-lucky person in the show, but yet when her brother started to get real with her at the science fair, it cracked her veneer pretty quickly. Maybe she was trying really hard to be chipper and happy, and you're the best mom, and I love you, Dad, and I love you, Big Brother, just to kind of keep things together, and once it all flies apart, she immediately goes into goth mode. She flips the switch from bubbly teenager to goth, braces explode off her teeth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty much yeah she I mean, starts clear, choking dudes where they're jerking off and and the rest is history it's it's clear that not all is well for her um it, it's just like everyone else in this episode right mm-hmm. they've got secrets they've got feelings that they're not talking about uh and i, I don't know uh, is it significant that kevin is willing to talk to this talk about this with his father but no one else I don't know. Why I mean, Why do they have this discussion, but he won't discuss this with his wife? He won't discuss this with you, you talk, anyone else. Uh, you talk about things with your dad that you maybe not talk about things with significant others, and there's some things you talk to your significant sure. others you I'm wouldn't talk asking, to your dad. I'm just asking, is it significant in the plot of 
the leftovers mm. or this episode. Oh yeah, I don't know. Ma- maybe not. Um, let's see what else. Um, Foul mouth Kevin Senior, man. <laughs> he he walks in <laughs> to a surprise party, motherfuckers. Sure, sure. I love it. What do you think about the women in the car? They they pull up to Kevin when That's he's in the middle of a weird. run, and they're like, "Are you ready?" And then, oh, I thought you were someone else. No sooner they pull over than the manhole cover explodes. Again, yeah, yeah, they yeah. laid the groundwork with their gas line being worked on and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But, you know, in Kevin Jr.'s mind, all this stuff kind of adds up. And I wonder if that's informing some of his fire dreams. Hmm. I hadn't considered that. Although I Maybe. still think there's a perfect explanation for his fire dream being the fact that he was smelling smoke. From his fence being on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I don't know, maybe I'm looking too much into that. Uh, I honestly don't know what the car was about. I, I wish I had a better understanding of that because Cause, so let's say, a lot of people have speculated on it. And let's say there's some speculation that we are definitively against. Like yes. the fact that this is a pre-cult or these were whole like – some people say, oh, the two uh, women in the backseat are Asian. Number one, not true. <laughs> Number two, <laughs> yes, there can't be a Holy Wayne slash Guilty Remnant cult yet. What what's the name of this cult? Guilty Remnant. What does that mean? The remnant is the things <laughs> left after something else happens. Right? There's no fucking way, and they're all about remembering. It's like, yeah, now, it would have to be a cult that co-opted this event for their purposes. Now that's an interesting thing because yeah. You know, if you ask a Jehovah's Witness what their founder was, they'd oh. say Charles Taze Russell. Sure. Charles Taze Russell would, say, would call bullshit on that because the modern Jehovah's Witnesses don't look anything like. In fact, there's four other organizations that split off and still, uh, you know, the International Bible, Bible students, students and what else? Yep, yep. That all claim this common cause. So now, is this car full of women a precursor to these cults that they, they, that they then decide that they're going to take a left turn at Albuquerque and go off in their own direction? That would be interesting. But these people are not guilty remnant, nor are they Holy Wayne recorder, re, uh, recruiters, nor are they third-eye blind target forehead people, nor are they the pantsless men. Yeah, yeah. We have no idea what they are. I can't even I, speculate. I don't have an idea. I have no idea what this scene means in context it of the could rest be, of the episode. And maybe this is what Lindelof is trying to say. This is all just a bunch of crazy coincidences that have nothing to do with anything that this event gave significance to. Maybe they're just women that were sure. tra- that were going to pick up somebody they were expecting, and, and only because we know that the event is about to happen does that does that gain significance? Should that mean anything to us? Yeah, right. Uh, it, that's an interesting thought. It's also interesting, I guess, to to just say there are a lot of signs during this episode. Sure, um, and that could be one of the unsettling signs for Kevin that these people ask, "Are you ready?" Sure. Um, for him, and then all of a sudden, this thing happens. Uh, I I don't know. I what I really want is an episode that picks up where this one left off. Okay. No, I and shows us initial reactions. We've gotten the three year out reaction. I want yeah. the initial reaction. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that we have any other things to talk about we've got a lot of stuff that uh, is in the feedback that are things i want to talk about but we might as well you know might as well talk about them in the form of feedback sure uh i will want to there's one other thing that some people some sharp-eyed readers on reddit saw that the time on the baby monitor uh-huh uh, was listed. There's a there's a time and date. It was October 14th, 2011, which definitely sets the time period. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, as basically contemporary. It's an alternate universe version of our world. And the time was 223. Uh, Genesis 223. 223.48. Let's just let's put the whole thing sure, out sure, there sure. so you can call bullshit when you want to. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, OBGY Genesis 223 says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Of oh, course, man. referring to God thieving a, uh, a rib bone from us dudes and In forming... This case, he thieved a baby. And forming a... a <laughs> And for well, really, I mean, I mean, if you're taking a children rib, are gifts from God, so he's just reneging at best. Sure, but if you're taking a rib and making a whole nother sex out of it, yeah, yeah, what are you doing with a full baby? That's what I want to know. Ooh. What is he going to make with that? Galactus, it's going to come back to eat the Earth <laughs> at the season three. That's how you. That's how you say fuck you to a fan base, Lindelof. Just either that or watch the finale of True Blood. Jesus. Oh wow, yeah. Um. Anyway, there's another reference to the it's a girl. Uh, it's another kind of quasi prophet. Yep. Could it could it be reference to L- the baby? I don't. None of these can be in reference to Lori's baby because there's no significance to her having a boy or a girl, right? Not that we know of. No. The only time that we that we we've seen any kind of dramatic uh, a, um, significance to the it's a girl is Holy Wayne promising a, a boy who's going to be a bridge, and Christine, Christine getting a girl. a girl. Yeah. But I have no idea how that stuff all ties together. Or if the Garveys sure. are intended to be her guardian, or they're going to be her shepherd, or what the hell's happening? And this could just be set up for next episode. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, shall we do a little bit of pimping and get the feedback? Sounds good. Okay, uh, you know, let me break my normal flow and talk about some things that we're actually excited about up and coming. Number one, Boardwalk Empire is coming back September seventh. Oh, it's the final season. It is. Well, now the Breaking Bad's off the air. Oh, I feel. No, I mean, I like. I feel there's something big coming here. I, br- the <sighs> best show on television. I can't. That's hard for me to say, man. <laughs> it's really hard for me to say. I will say that um, Boardwalk Empire's finales are, if mm. you just consider the finales and the setup that gets them there, there are some of the best hours of television I've ever seen. And yet, like, completely snubbed at the Emmys. Well, yeah, of course. You know, Steve Buscemi just can't win. Because, again, how if you just watch the finale without their other episodes, it's like I may, you might think, what's the big deal? Sure. But they're so satisfying to pay off. I'll put those, I'll put those three hours of television, the season finale for two, three, and four, up against any other. It's in, they're definitely in my top ten. Super excited about it being the final season. Uh, Walking Dead comes back. We're definitely covering it. Like I don't know that we've said that anywhere. No, we're definitely covering it day yeah. one. Full podcast. No on. bald move TV bullshit. We're just jumping nope. in. Uh, Walking Dead comes back uh, October twelfth. Yeah, I'm not joking when I say this. I'm actually very excited after Dude, seeing the Comic Con trailer. I saw that at Comic Con. I was blown away. I and, and we're going to talk about that leading up now, to it. They could just shit all over everything I think is going to happen. Yeah, and I'm hoping will happen, but. The preview looked good. We've got some stuff coming out in September that's going to kind of prep us for this. We're going to be doing live streaming the Walking Dead uh, Telltale Adventure Series. Yeah, we're going to uh, play through those. Our intention is to play through those leading up. Uh, so we'll be live streaming that, and they'll be on YouTube. And we're going to be doing a chat while we do that. So if you guys want to just like come hang out and talk with us, yeah, you don't. That's even a pretty good place to do it. Have to watch us play the game. You could just come in and hang out with us. Sure. Well, I think we're going to do it on Twitch TV. So we'll we'll have the chat room up there. Uh, we'll post links and everything. And give you guys notice when we do it. 
Uh, but that's that's super exciting. We've got a couple other surprises uh, along those way, the, the way too that uh, we'll be talking about as things get closer. But look for that the uh, September being the uh, lead up to Walking Dead. Um, going on to straight up pimping. Oh, one other thing, we just completed a a series of videos about the video uh, video game FTL. Oh, yeah, where yeah. Jim and I get our asses kicked by this brutally hard game. Uh, there's it's three volumes, a couple hours of content. If you're if you like video games and that one in particular, uh, and you want to see us board the struggle bus, yep, intergalactically, check that out on YouTube.com/slash/BaldMove. We've added a new way you can support Bald Move. People have been clamoring for it. Surprisingly, they just want to give us money with no, no expectation of anything in return. What these, are you doing, people? These are the patties and lorries <laughs> of the world that are unhinged and are waiting for some apocalypse to lead us all into, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a, a garment. We're going to take one possession a day. <laughs> garments of radiant white. Uh, <laughs> that, that's 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 one plan you can sign up for. But you go to baldmove.com slash support, and you can just straight up donate through PayPal to us if you don't want to do any other horse shit. Uh, but if you do, we got a couple ways you can do that too. Subbable.com slash bald move. You can convert your money into content opportunities and other cool bald move memorabilia. Uh, Amazon.baldmove.com is a great way if you're using Amazon to support us. It's affiliate link. You use that, and every time you buy something, we get a little bit in return. It doesn't cost you anything. That's cool. Finally, if you can't do uh, or not inclined to do any of that, could you find in your heart? To tell friends and family members about Bald Move, spread spread the love. You can do that by sharing us on social media. And another great way is to go on iTunes. If you're listening to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. All helps us grow our network, and we appreciate everything y'all do to support us. Uh, just reminder: there's no, there is no leftovers next week, but we will be having a special. Uh, is this an officially official podcast? This, oh my god, our first official. I got to ask Tanner. Can we actually call ourselves for this week only an officially official podcast uh, speculating about what's going on in the finale? Please send us your feedback about that at uh, leftovers at baldmove.com or on our Facebook or Twitter. Let's get right into feedback. Uh, Got a couple from last week I thought was interesting. Uh, Matt S. says, is it possible that they actually bought the body dummies legitimately um, using the photos they stole to design the body mummy dummies? I was down on this theory uh, in the last Until two weeks Lori's because money. I just couldn't conceive of the money that would – but now that Lori is fucking rich, this starting to seem like it's a strong possibility. We kind of talked about yeah, that. Yeah, wh- what are you guessing? Like That house is uh, two in upstate New York. One, 1. 1.5 million? Or more accurately, as someone said, a straight that's a suburb of New York City. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be a several million dollar home, right? You'd think so. Yeah. And if she's paying the mortgage on that, then and maybe she comes from money, maybe, maybe. you know, uh, or she's just built up this multi million dollar practice a year. I don't know, but she's she's definitely loaded. Uh, Glenn Beeson in this in emissive, we wondered about the three seventy eight where that was spray painted on the side of yeah, one yeah. of the buildings. Mm-hmm. He actually looked up because uh, he's a former Lutheran, I believe, or maybe he just found this information. He looked up the Lutheran hymns, the epiphanies, the stuff that was posted to Matt's board. Mm-hmm. Uh, 378 is the title of one of these hymns called, Oh, Where Are Kings and Empires Now? Mm-hmm. And the text of it, uh, all, I will include this hyperlink as well in the show notes, but it's someone saying, you know, where are the kings and empires that have fallen throughout human history? They've all gone, but the one 
the church and Christ's kingdom is the one thing that's endured throughout all. So he's basically suggesting that this uh, 378, where is people saying, you know, where is God? Hmm. Maybe the kingdom is actually gone. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Cynthia B. sent in a link of Michelle McLaren breaking down five key scenes from last week's uh, Cairo episode All right. uh, on watching The Leftovers. Again, the official site with HBO. Um, Anything interesting in there? One thing uh, that I want to highlight. Okay. Michelle is under the impression that Dean could still not be real. Dog and shooter? She, and she staged several scenes to be suggestive of him perhaps being illusion. In particular, there's one scene where he's standing up against a window in the opposite wall. There's a quick cut to Kevin, and then a quick cut back to them, and he's now sitting down across the other side of the room on a couch. And she suge- she wanted to suggest that he might have just teleported there. So is this... But this is bullshit, right? It's Okay. So... Michelle McLaren, great director... But some bullshit that you're trying to suggest here. Is this a case of the show writers and the, the, the people making this thing wanting to keep that question alive and, and figuring that they've still got us on the hook for that and just not realizing that they have given up the ghost on that a long time ago? Well, okay. First of all, we, and when I say we, I'm talking about everybody listening to this podcast. I'm talking about the audience, everyone, yeah, the audience everyone, watching the show. And, and I'm talking about the people who listen to this podcast and post it on Reddit. We're like the top 1% of people that are really sifting the tea leaves and, and sure, throwing yeah. chicken bones in the fire and seeing which way they pop. So she's speaking to the other 99% who there's, don't. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of people who just grab the man on the street, one of these 1.89 million people watching, and say, is Dean real? They'd be like, well, maybe he is, maybe he's not. I could say, yes, he is, and I can give you specific instances where... The entire fucking police force has seen him and talked to him. And then investigated him. How could that possibly not have happened? If he's not real, then we are being lied to as viewers in a way that goes beyond unreliable narration and goes into just fuckery. Yeah. However, I do think that there's probably a little bit of that. Because, again, I wonder if Michelle, when she's directing this episode, knows all the beats that came before it. You know? Maybe she doesn't, but I... I feel like, you know, she works with Damon Lindelof on this and says, sure. and Damon's telling her, hey, keep the keep it a little ambiguous. No, and that's I, just his style. That's, right? a, that's, that's almost a direct quote. She's like, you know, when I was reading the scripts and the material, there seems to be some ambiguity. So I think this was her is, helping yeah. that out. But uh-huh. but still, it seems like preponderance of evidence suggests that he's a real person. I, I can't see it any other way. No. I really can't. Interesting link, and there's a bunch of other cool shot analysis and what she's trying to Plus, get to that. Take this as a just a mind fuck. A not real guy talking to invisible people. Like well, what kind of meta level is that where you've got Dean the dog shooter who's not real? Yeah. Potentially talking to voices that he's hearing in his head. Right. And that... that <laughs> How far are we going to go down this rabbit and hole? And that Kevin is falsifying memories of his own officers saying that they're talking right? to people and, like... The stretch you have to make to make that true. And that he 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 had a fever dream where he stood up in town hall and only he saw him. <laughs> and he's just standing there slack-jawed yeah. for 30 seconds. Yeah. 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 Uh, Randy G on Facebook said the song that Jill is totally butchering in one of the opening scenes is Without You by David Guetta and featuring Usher. Okay. Fun little factoid about that from searching the song title. Turns out the video uh, that was released, presumably that's when a single was too, October 14th, 2011. All right. So that's cool. Pretty October cool. 14th. 
Uh, Marianne RBH said, moral of the story, fracking will in- bring about the end of the world. This is a gas line joke. Fracking. <laughs> Oh, you're okay. thinking you're going fracking toaster, weren't you? You're 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 uh, all in Cy- up in Cylon land over there. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Michael VC said, as the episode begins, it shows a telephone pole that we saw in the first shot of the pilot. Sands a ribbon this time. Kevin then runs by is the. That what that was? Yeah, and I that was a telephone pole. I'm, I think this is in this is a shot for shot stage because, and I didn't realize this until I read his email. Then he runs by the Asian woman's home where they're putting up a big mural of her face in the pilot. Um, this time she's standing mm-hmm. outside waving to Kevin. Um, okay. I, I mean, all of this. He says, I, he says, I also wonder if she's tied to Wayne at all, or maybe that's racial profile on my part. What was the song he was listening to in the first episode? Oh, fuck. Beats the fuck what, out of me. Was it upbeat or was it just completely different? I don't, I can't, I couldn't say. I can't remember either. Maybe that's something we Damn can. Damn it. We can, we can look up. I'm uh, sure our audience will tell us. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, let's just let's just and... use that crutch. Yeah, yeah. We the don't research. Care. Come we, on, we no, know, we've got people for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, because it's clear we do no research on this show. True, true. None. This is a true statement. Yeah. I think this is then segues into Andy T's Andrew T's comment about you know some people are talking about this is about you know that this clearly shows that um, you know people who. The people that lost ones were ones that were wishing that they were gone. Mm, okay, yeah. like there's a cause and effect, and Andy T came in and said, I don't think so. I think it's actually a show why people feel super deluxe guilty about the departures. The mm-hmm. same way that Matt probably feels terrible about making his wife drive so he could get his lean on. <laughs> Didn't talk about it in the series, but... Get pixelated, yeah. Matt, you know, got uh, apparently his cancer in complete remission and wanted to get drunk, and his wife said, you get well, drunk, I'll drive... We know she then died in a fatal car accident minutes well, later. Well, no, she didn't die. <laughs> oh, well, she she's, got... She's still around. No, that's right. She got veg- just, She got comat or vegetabled. Yes. Yeah, she had some pretty bad brain damage, apparently. Yeah. Uh, he continues, Kevin's a physical representation of the veneer the whole world has, where everything looks great, but right below the surface, there's a tremendous amount of turmoil ready to erupt. Yeah. A la the manhole cover or Kevin's dirty D with the deer accident floozy. Nobody is whole, and we're all they're all searching for a metaphysical missing piece, something to make them feel complete, be it a puppy, a biological father, a mistress. 1014 sure. changed that ambiguous absence into a specific one. Uh, that's he, what the whole show is kind of about, right? Right. He also connects the baby disappearancing, uh, disappearance inside of Lori. It's a nice symmetry where something that was inside of Lori was gone, while Kevin, something inside of him, <laughs> oh, was Jesus. also left. No, something that Kevin well, was inside yeah, he also had left. Himself inside you know what? I actually thought it, that was oh an insightful God. comment, but he's making one of his fucking jokes. Yes, I just got yeah, trolled no, on Facebook. But uh, <laughs> glad I read it either way. Was that, was that Andrew T? Yes, it was. that fucker. He always does this shit. <laughs> oh, epic. Uh, Nate M. from the home of Walmart, Bentonville, Arkansas. Hey, fellas. Just want to say the use of JT's, or the JT's use of the phrase, fuck you, is absolutely epic. His F-bombs are truly ones from a seasoned salty dog, ones that would bitch slap you forehand and backhand <laughs> at the same time. I've heard some FUs from people that sound like they've never said it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my wife and ones I thought were pretty damn good from my time in the military. Garvey's fucks are at the top of the list. <laughs> that fuck you, Lori. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't pretend like it's anything other than a fuck you. 
I just just as dead eyed fuck you, Lori. Yeah, he really means it when he make says you it. question your life decisions, make you question <laughs> your desire for a puppy. Like not not why are you telling me to fuck off, but what did I do yeah. that made me get this response? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A soul searing fuck you. <laughs> Ryan M said, wanna talk about the last reveal of the episode that I think only been hinted at during the show so far that Lori's fetus had been departed. Yeah. This is actually super controversial for I think Whichever side of the debate you fall on, obvious reasons, and Ryan continues. A, they ride the line, they never show it, right? Sure. They don't show the disappeared fetus and the But if the fetus was disappeared and that's 2% of humanity, that has profound implications on the uh, abortion debate in this fictionalized alternate reality. Sure. Okay? All right? So explain that a little deeper because it took me a second before the podcast when we were talking about this to get what you were saying. Well, there's two – so – there's two kind of, I guess, main legs of the, you know, uh, rationale for why abortion is, is you know, because no one's saying that fetuses are not human tissue. Sure. People question whether fetuses at a certain level of development are human beings in the same way that you yeah, could yeah. debate uh, where, like, a Terry Schiavo is still the, a human being that needs to be kept alive. Or if sure. you, you if in absence of a brain and a personality, uh, is that person a real person? And uh, that's a very heated debate, obviously, because one side sees people uh, murdering people and the other side sees people doing something merciful or respecting another person's body autonomy. There's also, I think, another plank that says that even if you do consider that a human being, um, no one has a right to die or even degrade their quality of life for another human being. So women are still justified getting abortion if they're saving their own life or even they're preserving their quality of existence. Sure. Um, so I don't think this is like game fucking over abortionists or pro-choice if if God decides no. to Plus, rapture it's a fictionalized out universe, right? Like indeed, and and God, <laughs> by the way, I'm just saying, spontaneous abortion kills more fetuses than everybody put together. So sure. God's got some explaining to do on that front, anyway. Anyway, Ryan continues. I want to provide a little context for that reveal in terms of pre-tribulation Christian eschatology, which I used to be super into before I became agnostic. You're talking my language, Ryan. (laughs) There's a popular concept in modern-day Christianity called the age of accountability. This is the belief that God— Seven years old, as evidenced in Boardwalk Empire. (laughs) Seven years old. This is the belief that God won't send babies or children to hell when they die because they're basically too young to know any better and be held accountable. Or six-year-olds, yes. Most Christians that believe abortion is a sin also believe that souls go straight to heaven even though they hadn't accepted Christ as their Savior. The same holds true for young children. The belief is that each person has a point somewhere in their lives, usually around the start of puberty, where God feels they're old enough Mm -hmm. to be accountable for their sins and are basically old enough to be cast into hell if they're not Christian when they die. Also, please note that there's no actual allusion to the age of accountability in the Bible at all and that plenty of Christians have differing beliefs on both the age of accountability. (laughs) Wait, you're saying that they made this up? And what kind of eschatology they believe in, if any. I think there's – it might be a little strong to say there's no allusion. Um, Obviously, age of accountability is not in there, but there is definitely verses that people like to pin this belief on. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of just like some Israel things where – sons and daughters were judged on the actions of their parents rather than their own merits, you know, and that they're mm-hmm. being holy, saved them, etc. Anyway, um, most Christians just assume that God is not a big enough dick to send a 20 week old fetus to hell solely <laughs> for the sin of pulling on the umbilical cord too hard. Sure. And what would a 20 week year, a week old fetus conceive of hell anyway? That would be, 
Sure. What would a three-month-old baby conceive of hell? I mean, that's another uncomfortable th- the truth is that human babies up until somewhere between three to 12 they're months. They're being tortured. They're human larvae, right? Yeah. You yeah. know? Like, oh, oh, this is hell? This is all I've ever known. Yeah, like, right? This isn't so bad. I could imagine much worse. Maybe we're all in hell, man. Oh. Past the pot brownies. Let's talk about this. <laughs> So this th- leads us to the final reveal to of Lori, going back to Ryan's email. I first want to congratulate Lindelof and Perota for having the balls to do something that could be this controversial, depending on your interpretation. Second, I assume the 2% of the fetuses were taken, too, so what the actual fuck? Why would God take 2% of these blank slates and leave the other 98%? And what purpose would aliens have with these fetuses, which, depending on age, are just clumps of cells and tissue? But then again, I guess that's the point of the show. Speaking of which, yeah, like... Let's say that uh, Garvey and the deer running over mistress were fucking, mm-hmm. and actually uh, she didn't get taken, and Garvey actually was able to get his little Garveys into her, mm-hmm. his millions of sperm cells, and six to eight hours. I'm, I'm a man. I don't really know how all this, this coochie stuff works. <sighs> but these things swam up the canal and, and, and implanted sure. a fertilized egg at the moment that those sperm and egg meet – if one of those things got raptured, she wouldn't even know about it. Why, why are we speculating about this? I'm just saying how far down do you actually go? How far do the turtles stack, you know? Uh, like, does God consider that a baby? Or 2% of fertilized... I think they stack to the point where they showed us in this episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> we don't have to go much further than that. All right. Um, but then again, I guess that's the point. I mean, his real point is something... The fetus got raptured... The show is saying that that is a human being, right? Whereas well, she's clearly in there for an abortion uh, or considering it at the very least. Okay. He said, speaking of which, now that we're at the end of the season, would you guys uh, care to talk about the pros and cons of it being God or aliens or option three, so, like some nuclear death ray gone bad? Pros or cons? Yeah, like do we think – do we want to talk about what – I, and I guess that's a fundamental misunderstanding of my desire here, Ryan, is that I don't re- – I'm not super interested in why the departure happened. If and it's we're, God, if it's aliens, if it's an Israeli death ray that went bad, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. If it's, it's probably the large hard-on collider, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Collide too many Kevin Garvey Jr. <laughs> hard-ons and you end up with this mess. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but I trust my favorite podcasters will do it and not pussy out. I totally think it's interesting that they did something, and I'm actually super interested. Did they do it on purpose? I'm also very surprised. Yes, of course they did. Or did they just say, man, it'd be cool if there was a fetus who was departed from a womb and didn't even think about the implications? There had to be in the writer's room some implications of like, why? But. I will say I'm kind of shocked that this hasn't gone out into wider media and been more of a shitstorm. I'm really sure. super shocked, Let's except for <laughs> Let's create the shitstorm. Uh, yeah, well, I don't, I don't. do you think it's just because this show is not uh, as, as big a phenomenon as some of the others? Like if this would have been Game of Thrones yeah. season four and something like shit like this, yeah, or, yeah. or Walking Dead where 15 million people are watching it. Also, I feel like your fund- average fundamentalist Christian does not watch The Leftovers because they're just put off on the premise altogether. Maybe. I, I, I mean, what would put them off on the basic premise? If, if I was a Jehovah's Witness, I would not be watching the show. I well, would see it's, they're, I would they're say, extremists. 
No, yeah. but I'm saying that I'm saying that fundamentalist Christians or Christ, um, the type of Christians that would protest abortion clinics and that would take stake and be like, aha, see, or like claim some kind of moral high ground, I don't think watch the show. I could be wrong. You I'm, could be right. I don't know. I, I'm just saying I with all the boobies and swearing. And, I think we've spent an inordinate amount of time talking about what is potentially not even in the a episode. A controversy that hasn't even happened. Yes. <laughs> uh, fair point. Okay. So there you go, Ryan. Uh, Kevin F. said, great episode. I just want to take a moment and give a shout-out to the score. I did, too, and I'm, I meant to say this in the podcast um, proper, but I forgot to. Uh, this so- this music by Max Richter, Yeah, that score as everything was converging, as yeah, all these, these points, and but also kind of haunting and piercing with like, these really extremely high like clarinet and flute notes. Mm-hmm. I... I found unbelievably moving, even knowing what I was getting into, and I guess that's the power of of music. Yeah, and then they, I mean, they, the leftovers theme is very effective. Certainly, they, they play that in that soft piano music. While like I forget the guy's name, but he said, "If you just just hum that to yourself as you go about your chores." He had the <laughs> the saddest folding. Want to die? He's, yeah. he's saddest folding the sheets uh, ever. <laughs> no, yep. seriously, uh, that's not something you can run to and have your dick flopping around with. Mm-mm, no. Um. Anyway, he continues. It seems like there were some signs the departure was coming as we see weird happenings affecting animals, people, even gas lines. Uh, I'm not interested in how it happened. It is interesting to see. I agree with that. Yep. Love the callback to the family that Nora interviewed about losing their disabled son early in the season. Mm-hmm. I love how the show just decided to throw that in there. Uh, he wondered if the score affected us in the final moments, and how did signs prior to departure affect our view of it at all? I feel like we've talked about both those things adequately. I think so. Yeah, that score it really brought those scenes together, and I think probably the most... Uh, most affecting was Nora's. Sure, that's the one that because we've seen so much of her back or of her current story, her sure. struggle with the idea that her family disappeared after yeah. she kind of wished them away. Yeah, no, and I feel like if you're a parent, or even if you're, you know, I, I'm sure as a you've got a brother, you've said things to your brother that's been shitty from time to time, and if he just disappeared before your eyes, or right after yeah. that, you'd feel like a fucking asshole. Sure. So <laughs> I think everyone can kind of identify with that and you throw Mm -hmm. Richter's music on top of it and you just want to slit your wrist. (laughs) Pablo L says, holy shit. uh, For eight episodes, I knew the leftovers wasn't perfect. This episode, however, just brought one of the shortcomings to light. Oh, it's dialogue. If you strip away the jaded and overall desolate circumstances of the quote unquote event, the people of this small town in upper New York are laughably howdy dowdy. Well, shucks kind of folks. Seriously, they're cookie cutouts of a perfectly happy people you find in the terrible these terrible family films. That's the point. Only this fine bunch of folks curse like proverbial sailors. That's what? the point, man. They're supposed to look happy when they're not. Um, right? Do you find the dialogue uninspiring? It does seem. I I don't know. Like even it if does it seem is... basic. Like like steam broccoli. The dialogue in this show okay. is yep. steam broccoli. No butter, no salt. Mm, With some pepper in the form of fuck bombs. <laughs> yeah. I, th- it's hard to say Con- that the dialogue is bad in an episode where the point of them is to show how no. how they look happy, but they're not. No, he's talking about the whole se- – like compare this season right. of The Fall, the, the Leftovers, 
hadn't done that in a while, the leftovers with some uh, dialogue from Fargo or fuck True Detective. Mm-hmm. That's some dialogue you can sink your teeth into. This, yeah. and I don't know, maybe it's intentionally bland to just really, it's kind of Spartan and austere the way the series is. There's not a lot of flowery things said. It's a lot of, you know. Yeah. I mean, these are plain folk. Plain folk. In a plain town, right? Plain folk. Uh, like Greek yogurt. <laughs> uh, yeah, no blueberries in this town. Anyway, he said, while the usual situations and leftovers are tense and drenched in panic, the dialogue for the most part reflects that. During this episode, all that is so distracting, I actually found myself hating all these people. Before, I thought they'd been through a lot and are forever changed by their events. Uh, It feels like the disappearing of millions did little to their actual personalities, since according to this episode, they've always been these horrible people. In retrospect, (laughs) the aggressive dialogue found throughout the season of The Leftovers isn't a byproduct of circumstance, but rather bad writing. Adversely, the disappearing of these people only really changed one person, Jill, who went from a terribly acted happy teen to Wednesday from the Adams family. Wait, how did it not change Lori? Well, he's saying how that, like, they not change Patty. These people were all, well, come on now. They were all cracked people. How did it not change just, Kevin Sr.? That's like so that's many of these the people change. are so fucking different. And that's and we haven't got to that. Kevin Sr has made the biggest change because he's and maybe we just don't know him well enough yet but he seems genuinely sure. happy self-assured confident everything you want he understands the to world be. too right yeah like we're like giving his son solid advice yeah um i and then he goes to complete butt naked lunatic there's no signs of cracks unlike every other character we've gotten to know even yeah. jill yeah she's put on this happy act but it seemed like it's intentional based on her and Tommy's conversation at the science fair because she knows her parents are having problems and and she even thinks her dad's going to leave. Yeah, I just find it hard to say that these people have a problem. What they're struggling with is the idea of being human, right? (laughs) Like, that's... The the episode spells it out. Like, we... You may not see a bigger purpose, but is that a problem? And people struggle with that. Everyone struggles with that. The idea of what is the purpose of... Being alive. Sure. Uh, I want to speed things up because we still got some feedback to consider. All right. right. Jeff Finn wants to uh, pry open the Lindelof debate again. Okay. He said, as a book reader, I'm very excited about where the show has gone. It Mm. separated itself as I'd hoped to be its own story within the world it's created. This episode, again, had a very lostish feel, but the finale of the show is something fans and Lindelofs were unhappy with. He's speaking of Lost. Sure. Lindelof even said said himself that for years he was unable to come to terms with the way he ended Lost. (laughs) <laughs> He's also said that he hopes for redemption with the leftovers, but after seeing this episode, what does he think he needs redemption from? Does he feel he needs redemption because he was forced to keep that show going for far too many seasons, 121 episodes? <laughs> That's a lot. Leading to too many unnecessary character stories and unanswered questions? 121 episodes is 12 seasons of this show. No shit. That's that- a lot of TV. And that's... One thing, you know, we talked about before. That's they talked the about wanting to keep things. Walking Dead to 12 seasons. Like, they're hoping, oh, it'll go 12 seasons. That's a lot of shit. Yeah, do you? <laughs> uh, was it that after season one, viewers guessed a correct ending and he went on record saying it wasn't true when it actually <laughs> was? Or was it something else completely? Let's face it, it's a show that was focused around a mystery and someone who is bound to figure it out at some point. So I ask you, Bald Move, what mm-hmm. does he view as redemption and how will he succeed? That's a good question. I think his biggest problem was promising a lot of answers. And maybe that's right. Maybe there were people 
No, I'm almost sure that people said that this is purgatory, and he said, "Nope, there is. That's not a. That's not a valid answer." And it yeah. turns out it was purgatory. The thing is, it's not really purgatory. It's like a. I'm not. This is stuff we've already debated. So it is. all it, those it's things like a, are a, a, after mentioned location that they will all meet in the afterlife. It's not actually purgatory. It's something else. But I think this is one of the reasons the material spoke to Lindelof because. This is a man mm-hmm. who for years after loss ended was subjected to hundreds if not thousands of irate emails yeah. of people on Twitter saying vile, terrible things about himself, mm-hmm. about his lifestyle, about his friends and family sure. to the point that they ran him off the internet. Think about that. They ran a wealthy, powerful man, white man, off of the internet. That's the power of the internet. That and you start thinking like Lori and the guilty remnants and people withdrawing from society and people's guilt and I'm telling you, I, I wonder if some of those themes didn't speak to him because of exper- yeah. his experience that this that 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 lost experience even though it was on the whole very rewarding professionally and financially for him, sure was kind of like this personal apocalypse, this creative apocalypse that he created himself. I'm sure it could be. I mean, above all else, people are people, right? Regardless of how rich and famous you are. Certainly. Uh, and, I mean, I'm sure, you know, he's got some money. Cuse has some money from Lost. But that doesn't change your your fundamental humanity. No. I mean, we don't get a you lot. You still question yourself. You still wonder. Certainly. All the things that everybody else who doesn't have money and success and fame. No, yeah, no. And I'm far. I'm, I know for a fact I'm far more fragile than he like, you sure. Know, yeah, I would be off the internet day two. Yeah, like the 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 fiftieth <laughs> uh, direct message in a row. They're like, "You're a fucking idiot. Yeah, I hate yeah. you. You ruined my life. I want seven years of my life back." I'd be nope, gone. Um, Nathan P said, "I have a deer theory. The places where the deer was trapped can easily be connected to people that vanished. First, a school with Nora's kids, then a home. More specifically, the room of Charlie, mm-hmm. where we originally saw his parents and older couple talking about him in episode two to get the departure money from Nora. Uh, deer hit by a car. The woman driving the car then vanishes. The balloon that was caught on it said it's a girl. This could also be linked to Lori's pregnancy. An overarching idea is to think about the deer symbolizes a test." Kevin was given the task of trying to save the deer instead of kill it. Despite his efforts, he ends up having to shoot it anyway. As a punishment, people disappear. This could represent humanity as a whole being given some sort of test, but this creates even more questions to be answered. I just want to caution you, Nathan, that trying to unravel a mystery that Damien Lindelof, Damon Lindelof Damien, himself, you asshole. has said is going to be unsolvable might make you turn patty before this is over and he's yeah again if lindelof is saying there ain't nothing there there Mm -hmm. you should sit up and take notice for sure in fact do we i I would like to know from people whether they are still interested in entertaining theories along those lines about the disappearance itself because we were talking about this pre-show yeah no that's a good question it's it's hard because uh you know, t- telling our brains 
not to find patterns in something that has no pattern, but we have a bunch of data points is like trying to throw uh, your pet dog a piece of raw meat and telling him not to go for it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm content to read them, but I have the same response. Like, it sounds good, but I could also think of two or three things to discount these theories, too. Like, for example, yeah, and... what <sighs> test involved a, a convicted murder in prison? You know? I don't know. Uh, was the warden, you know, secretly wanted him to die this whole time. And he's like mad about him taking up a space. And like, I, you know, it's like, we'll never know that. All we can possibly know is this small. Sure, and, and it comes down to like the, the theories that people are having about like, oh, these people all disappeared because someone wished them away. Well, what about the kids at the science fair? Mm -hmm. Like there's so many things that you would just have to add explanations to out of sure. whole cloth that, yeah, none of it. And again, the show that's creator the is saying we're not going to answer these. Yeah, so that's not obviously not the point. Yeah. Um, let's go on and uh, go to TK's take from St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey guys, watching last night's episode, and I have a theory about the departed. <laughs> I think the people who disappeared were sometime were uh, at some time either prayed or wished no. that they were gone by someone close to them. Uh, Didn't he, we just shoot down all theories related to why the departed departed? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to give credit to all the right. first person that came forward with this particular theory. Sure. Another thing I noticed was the last couple episodes is when Kevin had a dream with the dog in a mailbox. Dean had dead, guilty remnant in his uh, truck bed with plastic mm -hmm. on their heads, just like he tried to kill Patty. Not sure if that means anything. Um, yeah, so... Is the dog in a mailbox and the fact that he stashed cigarettes there and the fact that, you know, we talked about, is it significant? Oh, we don't man. know. Yeah, that's the thing. I just don't know. I just don't know with this show. Mark D said, after watching episode nine, I think I figured out and presume the majority to figure it out a thread amongst those who have departed. Okay. Uh, this again, it's like in another one that said, uh, there must be something else unique in this email about the people that are praying or wishing that their problems would go away for that second, the mother that had a screaming yeah, baby, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, he says, I know that they will probably never tell us the exact reason the departure, but I truly believe this theory is pretty close to being true. Um, I guess. Yeah, so it's like, what is, I'm, I'm wondering uh, to Mark D and TK from St. Paul, Minnesota and Nathan P. <laughs> If you are propounding theories that you know will never be proven one way or another, what do you expect to happen? What is what is our end game here? And I'm asking this as a yeah, genuine yeah. question because yeah, this sure. this is shaping our podcast, right? And yeah. we could go in more in depth of this and try to figure it out despite Lindelof, mm -hmm. and then Lindelof can try to fuck us, yep. and then we can say, "How dare you, Lindelof? <laughs> uh, do we just make it a rule that we don't talk about this th stuff, or is it interesting to people?" I, I feel like enough people are talking about it that it's worthy of some discussion. Even though we know we're not going to get those answers. It's not offensive to me is what I'm saying. No. But I just wonder if it's, uh, you know, we're undergoing our own little Don Quixote windmill tilting expedition. In fact, I yeah. feel like I know for it, a it fact we're doing futile. that. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are. So it's like, you know, if someone had a theory about why Walt, Walter White's father named him Walter. <laughs> it could be a very well-argued with extensive sites and stuff, but we'll never the know answer the answer just to isn't that. There. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. 
So that's all the feedback we have. If you'd like to send us some feedback, especially any speculation on what's going to happen for next, not next week, but the week after, the week after Memorial Day weekend's mm-hmm. uh, episode, uh, let us know because we're going to have that special 15 to 20 minutes type of preview that we're doing for HBO. Send that in to leftovers at baldmove.com or on baldmove or facebook.com slash baldmove or Twitter at baldmove. And super excited to see you next week and the week after that for finale, the finale, man. baby. I wonder what they're going to do. How many answers will be answered? How many questions will be raised? How many people will die? <laughs> I feel like someone's <laughs> going to die. Everyone. That's going to be my official prediction for the They're podcast. all dead already. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're going to wake up on Lost Island yes. at the end of the series. That's where all the departed go to. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next Tuesday. Uh, I think. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye.